Now, we're in the studio with Katie Hunter-Lowry from NOLA to Angola, which is a 170-mile bike ride from New Orleans to um, the Louisiana State Penitentiary, um, which is a benefit for Cornerstone Builders Bus Project from their website. Their mission um, is to organize an annual bike ride to support and fund Cornerstone uh, Builders Bus Project, which connects families um, to their incarcerated loved ones. Thank you so much for speaking with us today, Katie. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, uh-oh, it looks like their microphone is being not a working one. Um, say something else. Again, thank you so much for having me. Okay, I'm going to come over there. Okay. Great. <laughs> um, super. All the technical difficulties Great. this morning. Great, exciting to be on this side of the table here. Um, all right, so um, tell us a little bit more about the ride that's coming up this weekend. So this is NOLA to Angola's ninth annual uh, bike ride from New Orleans to Louisiana State Penitentiary. We uh, bicycle this distance to highlight um, how far families and loved ones have to travel to visit their incarcerated loved ones. Um, this year we have over 70 cyclists who are fundraising throughout their networks to raise money for Cornerstone. Through NOLA to Angola's uh, fundraising over the years, Cornerstone has been able to expand its project and now has a hub of buses that leaves from Shreveport as well. That's really exciting. Um, what, so you said it's been going for nine years. How, how is how, what sort of what, how, what was the inception of the ride, and how has it changed over that time? Some folks um, back around 2010, 2011, uh, heard Reverend Leo Jackson, um, who runs Cornerstone Builders Bus Project, speak about the buses and decided to. Uh, create this project in biking all this way and we've certainly um, upgraded a lot from that initial really scrappy ride and mm -hmm. uh, the ride is fully supported with um, drivers and a food crew and we camp the whole way um, mm -hmm. which is something that has not changed from uh -huh. the first very small scrappy ride but uh -huh. um, we now are able to support folks who are not regular cyclists were able to support folks um, through scholarships and stipends who otherwise um, would not be able to do the ride to miss work and miss wages. Mm -hmm. um, that's really cool. And uh, sort of full disclosure, I've been on the ride a couple of times and um, I'm involved helping to cook food for it this year, which I'm super excited about. And, uh, and this question, we were working yesterday with some uh, great high school students in the culinary mm -hmm. program at NOCA, and uh, we were talking about the ride. And one of the students said, we were like, are there any questions? And they asked these great questions. I wasn't said, well, why a bike ride? <laughs> and and you sort of answered that a little uh -huh. bit more, but um, but I don't know if how would you answer that question specifically? I mean, yeah, the the distant the highlighting the distance aspect is certainly true. You know, I think that one of the issues in our culture and society around incarceration is the way. Um, you know, I mean, there are endless issues with the prison industrial yeah. complex, and um, one just one of them is the way that we warehouse people away and forget about them. Mm -hmm. We, as the larger um, group who are, don't feel directly affected by incarceration, but for people's friends and families, they are still very much a part of that friend group and family. Um, so to be a two-and-a-half-hour drive away, we also know right, that the majority of people in prison um, are people who come from communities that are affected by poverty, they're communities of color, um, and so traveling those distances is really hard without resources. Calling prisons is expensive, gas is expensive, and so, 
to provide a free, comfortable bus and a safe space for what's a really harrowing emotional experience for many um, stepping in and out of a prison and, and leaving their loved one there. Um, the, the, the cyclists that sign up for the ride are, um, you know, I think able to fundraise better when they tell their networks, well, not only is it for this project, but also I'm going to be on a bike for three days, so please yeah. give me some dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I mean, it feels like a big part of it, too. I mean, like a, a lot of what you're talking about and the conversations that end up happening around it uh, are very humanizing in this way. And when we talk about incarceration, we talk about prisons, um, certainly in the U.S. and in Louisiana, a big part of what's happening with incarceration is this sort of dis this logic of disposability and dehumanization. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you would um, care to talk a little bit about sort of the history of Angola and what Angola look represents and what prisons in Louisiana represent? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, Angola made a transition from a slave plantation to a prison really seamlessly. And when you go there, you, you can see it immediately. I mean, mm -hmm. it still looks like a working plantation. Um, there are still the, the people incarcerated there are working for minuscule wages, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and doing a lot of the same labor. And so, um, Angola is a place where um, most of the people who are incarcerated there die there. Um, it has a brutal violent history and has um, been sued in the past few years for everything from maltreatment to um, nearly killing people of heat exhaustion in solitary confinement. Mm. Um, and these systems are really ingrained in our state. You know, Louisiana is currently in this flip-flop. Are we still the highest incarceration rate? Right. Is it Oklahoma? Um, you know, and uh, I think that how thin that margin is between the two states really shows that it's it's not really something to celebrate to flop back and forth between first and second place for the yes. highest incarceration rate right. in the world. Right. Yeah, and something that I was reading recently is about how, you know, because of, um, uh, you know, sentence reform and because of, you know, a number of, of, of things that are, are really gains uh, of the work of uh, activism led by formerly incarcerated folks in their communities, um, you know, Louisiana isn't number one technically in this way, but but all these these facilities, and I think a lot of times we try to talk about a difference between public and private facilities, but really what ends up being a bunch of public facilities operated by private companies mm -hmm. hired by ICE, which is a whole other thing, are now filling those beds that used to be, um, you know, you know, Dis disposed of by the state mm -hmm. citizens with um, with people who are asylum seekers, with people who are, you know, in any sort of like, uh, you know, undocumented situation in the U.S. And now, I mean, there's like, I think I read that there are 50,000 people who are like undocumented folks who are being caged in the U.S. right now, and 8,000 of them are in Louisiana. Yeah, I mean, you're speaking incredibly well to that argument and to bring it to a local level, right? This is why it's so important to pay attention to what's happening in New Orleans around the size of our jail yes. and OPP. And yeah. um, NOLA to Angola um, really tries to connect with local groups like Voice the Experienced and the Orleans Parish Prison Reform Coalition, who are leading this charge and saying, if you have beds, they will fill them. Yeah. We structurally need small jails, small prisons, less beds, because the way that the laws stand and the way these interconnected systems of oppression, um, like racism and like white supremacy, affect incarceration, if there are open beds, they will fill them with people, mm -hmm. which is what's happening in the, um, with immigration detention. Mm -hmm.
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and another, I mean, you're talking about these um, organizations that uh, the, that that are sort of informing the analysis of the ride and and the work that that, that y'all are doing and. Um, and that end up, you know, we talk about the April ride that directly, you know, talks talks with organizations working in New Orleans. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about uh, how it's part of the experience of the ride is you know, everybody who goes on it sort of gets a feeling of this geography of incarceration of Louisiana, and you see, in a lot of ways, the way that these agricultural systems uh, that are all around these sort of oil production systems all are sort of extractive of environmental stuff, of people, and and, and disregarding of the of the people on the ground in the state. Um, and another part of that is whenever we stopped when I did the ride before, people would come and speak with us who were mm-hmm. involved in activism. And I'm wondering if you could talk about, is that happening this year and, and who's going to be talking in those conversations this year? Yeah, that has been a part of the ride that um, has developed more and more over the years, having speakers. And, um, you know, I love the cycling aspect of the ride, but I really love political education. Yeah. And um, so this year we will have... Um, Joy Banner from the Whitney Plantation speaking about the history of the Woodland Plantation and the 1811 Slave Revolt. Mm -hmm. We will have Jesse Parfait, who has been an archivist for the Homa Nation, come speak. And these, um, you know, and so in addition to riders on the ride who are formerly incarcerated or directly impacted by incarceration, speaking to the group about their personal experiences. And I, I think that, you know, having sort of these big picture conversations about you know, the fact that the land that we're riding through and where Angola is used to be land populated by indigenous peoples um, really sets the stage for thinking today about people's personal stories about the two decades they spent in Angola. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we do a lot of zooming in and zooming out. You can zoom out further. And when we when we ride past the Bonnie Carey spillway Mm -hmm. and talking about the history of environmental racism in that area and the way that climate change is affecting New Orleans so clearly, and uh, our region is so fragile, um, how often they open the spillway now Mm -hmm. is incredibly concerning um, in the larger picture of climate demise. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that is like a, you know, I mean, I think... I've only lived in town for about four years, but I think the first year it was like, oh, they're going to open the spillway, and then (laughs) now it's up to twice a year or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so and, you know, I'm interested in, in, in talking too. Um, you know, I, still thinking about just the the carceral system and 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 the ways that it happens. I think sometimes um, we get you know, or, or I I've sort of get caught up in a conversations about like how many like exonerations there are in a year and how many people. I mean, because in Angola there's what like five thousand people, mm-hmm. and um, and most of them are serving life sentences. Mm-hmm. And and so I think that you know there's this one conversation about how you know how because of the way that the system works a lot of people are sort of pushed to take a plea deal a lot of people are like wrongfully convicted but I mean then I think there's also this argument that you know everybody's wrongfully convicted Mm -hmm, in this way mm -hmm. Um, yeah and something that we will talk about uh, this Friday at 8am at our Mm -hmm. press conference and send off um, at NOPD headquarters which the public are more than welcome to join we invite media and the community to join us um, and folks should bring their bikes if they want to ride out with us a little bit on the first day Something that we will talk about is how so many folks in Angola start their movement through the criminal justice system um, in New Orleans and how the district attorney that we currently have, the way the court systems operate, the bail fines and fees systems, um, how they impact people's lives and those ripples spread outward. Um, We are all 
affected by Mm -hmm. this system, um, whether you realize it or not. And it is most important to focus on the people who are super directly affected and whose whose situations are more urgent. urgent. Um, And a lot of their struggles and battles start in New Orleans with NOPD and with Leon Cannizzaro. um, And then they are taken from their families and sent three hours away to West Flushant Parish. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the the if you could speak a little bit to the the Cornerstone Builders Bus Project program, mm-hmm. um, I think I understand that it, maybe it started specifically with rides from New Orleans to Angola, but kind of, kind of in a larger way facilitated by this partnership, they've expanded what they're doing a whole lot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, Leo Jackson um, is an incredible visionary, and I believe that he would find a way to fund these buses regardless absolutely. of whether or not we biked. And it's really an honor to support um, his work. Um, yeah, they they run buses monthly to correctional facilities. Um, that that is the language of the the bus um, program to correctional facilities all across the state. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is the uh, facilities that house women. That um, is facilities in far corners of Louisiana. And so those buses are, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, completely free for the people who take them. Um, All you need to do is call Cornerstone to reserve a spot on the bus, and all that information is on our website, nolatangola.org. The folks on the buses are largely women and children, Mm -hmm. um, and many of them have been making this ride for many, many years and will continue to do so for many, many years. Um, And it is, you know, what, what we emphasize for riders and what we emphasize for our supporters is that keeping these families connected over these barriers of incarceration um, is a form of resistance and it is a yeah. way to, to to keep communities connected despite the ways that carceral systems try to keep us apart. And um, like you said, try to make people disposable, which they are not. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for people who are listening who are interested in, in plugging in, I mean, not even necessarily specifically to Nola Tangola, but just to um, anti-incarceration activism, mm-hmm. um, prison abolition activism that's going on in New Orleans, <coughs> what would you recommend? Um, I do recommend signing up for our prison events newsletter. Um, uh, if you reach out via nolatangola.org or email us at info at nolatangola. Um, one of our organizers, uh, Jesse Channon, curates an incredible prison events newsletter that, um, you know, in this busy, busy world we live in and we're always running around and taking in so much information, um, it is a helpful way to digest the comings and goings around town of this organizing work. Um, we partner with many incredible organizations this Friday at our press conference and send-off, we will have speakers from the Orleans Parish Prison Reform Coalition, the Louisiana Center for Children's Rights, the Workers' Center for Racial Justice, and Bike Easy. Um, And, you know, I think in movement building, it's really important to remember that there is space for everyone, whether you um, are an artist, or you are outspoken, or you like to be behind the scenes, or you're just looking to learn more about um, something that you you know, need to do some research on there's a place for everyone. So we're happy to plug folks into the local work happening because it's it's happening. And like you yeah. said, it's largely led by people of color and formerly incarcerated folks. Um, and the big shifts that have happened in Louisiana in recent years are because of their work. Yeah, absolutely. Katie Hunter-Lowry, thank you so much for speaking with us this morning. Thanks, Theo. I really appreciate it.